build a friendship with them so they connect to Christ and connect to the church. Amazingly enough, my team was terrible in the morning, the kids, but we pulled out the championship and won. And then our team in the afternoon was stacked. However, we got that team, I'm not sure. And uh, we also won. So it wasn't about winning, but sometimes it is nice to win. And so, uh, you know, we'll just, we'll go with that. But I incur, I was, one of the best parts of the week wasn't winning a game in Germany. Wasn't winning baseball with kids that have never played before. That was a lot of fun. One of the best parts of the week for me was kind of a rethinking about friendship. Kind of a thinking about the importance of it. A year ago, a friend from seminary challenged me to read a book called Made for Friendship, written, uh, his last name is Hunter, and I just, I didn't write, that, um, I, I, mi- I forgot his uh, first name. I'm, I'm sorry. It's a book on my desk. If you want to see it afterwards, his name is, or the book is called Made for Friendship. And I bought bought the book, and it sat on my desk for about a year, and uh, or sat somewhere in my possession. And on the way to Germany, on one of the flights, I was able to read through most of it and finished it uh, during that time. And it was real. It was actually convicting uh, about this idea of friendship and how we treat friendships. And actually, one of the themes of the week and what we taught kids was friendship and how they connect to Jesus and other people that love Christ. And I thought about it, and one of the key verses that we looked at was actually John 13:34 and 35. There's a quote on the screen, though, or quote on the screen that was there, and then we'll look at that. But the idea he said, J.C. Ryle said this long ago: friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. If we think about friendship. The troubles that we have, when we have good friends, it cuts our troubles in half. But when we're with good friends, it usually doubles our joys. And that was one of the things I saw this week at camp. When we lost our luggage, when we had terrible times, friends helped us through those and cut those troubles in half. But the joy that we shared with people was doubled because we did that with friends and saw people come to or, or come to more knowledge about Christ and his church and that is double joy because you're doing that with friends. But John 13:34 says this and we're going to read these verses. John 13:34 says, "A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another." By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You know, the world is more connected than any time in, the, in history. We can see what's happening in the world. We can fly to the other side of the world quickly, uh, relatively. We're more connected than any way, in any time in history. In social media, we're so connected that I can see friends that I have in Germany or from Taiwan or different places I've spent around the world. I can see what they had for lunch. I can see what they're doing in their vacation. But I don't necessarily have close contact with them. As close as we see each other's lives on social media, we actually struggle with more depression, more loneliness, more anxiety than people in history. We struggle with this idea of loneliness. We even call people different things. You can hear now, young people will say things like, hey, bestie or best friend. And you call everybody a bestie. Basically, anybody you've met on the Internet or anybody that walks past you, you can call them bestie or best friend or BFF or whatever it may be, yet you may know them very little. 
Sometimes you may know them very close and they may be a best friend. But oftentimes, even as I work with young people and, and see in the church, this co- common thread comes up. I don't have many friends. I don't have any friends. I feel lonely. I don't know if anybody cares for me. And unfortunately, in our society, we've sometimes lost the true idea of friendship. We've sometimes become so consumed with shallow friendships that we don't actually have true and meaningful friendships. Let me look and walk through the Old Testament and just the, and the New Testament, a little bit of a biblical theology of friendship. And we're just going to cover some verses uh, quickly, and I'm going to go through this. And, and I mentioned to some people that I may the preacher may try and preach a short message today, and we'll see if that happens. Okay, But we'll try and go through this and talk about friendship just for a moment and see what God has for us. In Genesis, we see that there was a theology of friendship. When man was obedient to God, the relationship was often looked at as a close friend. In Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And we see God's creation. And he creates man in his image. And we see in theology, we can talk about these verses some. Some will say when when he says, let us, talking about a trinity, that there's already a relationship in the Godhead and he creates man to have relationship as well. Some may say that's a stretch to make that claim, but I also think as we go through Scripture, it's clear God is a relational God. He wants us to have relationships. We saw in Genesis 2 that man was sad because he was alone. He looked at all the other animals and saw, uh, oh, look, all these animals have a partner, but I have none. And, and Adam is put into a deep sleep and woman is made. And so Adam and Eve have their relationship together. They have the closest friendship there in a marriage between each other. They have a relationship. But, but God wasn't just leaving them to have a relationship by themselves. God wanted a relationship with them. In Genesis 3, we see, we know this passage as the fall where man sinned, but yet we also see the importance of Genesis 3, 8, where we know God actually had a relationship with these people. It says in verse 8 of chapter 3 of Genesis, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. For the Lord called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. We go on and you see in that passage the terrible results of sin. But it seems very clear that this was a common thing that Adam was going to expect God to be with them. That at some point in their time, God would walk with them. There would be fellowship. There would be friendship. It says in Genesis 4.14, one of the troubles that they saw, even Cain was worried about this. People, after sin, they, Adam and Eve were out of the garden, but even their son Cain, after he sinned, was worried about the lack of relationships. It says in Genesis 4.14, uh, Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Even Cain, and all throughout history, we see people's concern that they don't have access and relationship with God. Because we are relational people, we should have a relationship with God. 
In fact, we can see some friendships that God had with man in the Old Testament, maybe that we don't think about. In Genesis 5, 21 through 24, we hear about Enoch. Enoch had lived, it says in these verses, Enoch lived 65 years. He fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. This idea of walking with God, there is an importance of fellowship with God. It isn't, ju- it isn't just something to be said that he walked with God. He was a good guy. This is an actual man that had fellowship with the Creator. And this is a relationship that we should seek after. We want to walk with God. We want to have relationship with God. Genesis 6, 8 and 9 says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. When we walk together, I mean, I think about it, and even the image at baseball camp when I'm walking with my coaches or my team across the field to the next station or wherever going, when you're walking with someone, you're communicating with them. You're side by side discussing. You're walking together. And there's so much involved in this that we see there's an importance that God puts on walking or relation, being with his people. You may say, I'm not convinced. Well, Leviticus 26.12 says this, And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. God wants to have a relationship with his people and be with them. In fact, we go on, we see Abraham is called a friend of God. In James 2.23, the scripture was fulfilled and said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. And you may think, well, this is strange. Humans being called friends of God. God is a relational God, and he wants us to have a proper, right relationship with him. Moses spoke to God as a friend speaks face to face. Exodus 30, 33:11 says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Verse 30, or Deuteronomy 34:10, And there has not arisen a prophet since in, light, uh, since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. When the Israelites, when, when in all of Israel's history, they looked back to Abraham and Moses as these prophets and these leaders of their faith as something that was very clear that they walked with God or they were close to God. Their relationship with God was something to be honored. We see in the friendships in the Old Testament, different times, Ruth and Naomi, David and Jonathan, different friendships. But we see Israel fundamentally rejected their relationship with God. Israel, over and over again, says no to what God wants. And we understand that when we want to be friends with God, when we want to be close to God, we actually are going to obey God. Somebody, There's nobody that disobeys God and lives a life of rebellion against God and is said to be the friend of God. All the people that are said to be friends of God are people that obeyed Him and walked in fellowship with Him. With him. And you may say, I'm not convinced that friendship is something that God wants us to have. I'm not convinced that friendship is important. But yet, if we go to the New Testament, we see one of the clear things that Jesus is called is a friend of sinners. Jesus is the great friend of sinners. He ate with sinners. He restored sinners to God. 
and he became friends with the sinners that he saved. Jesus is the great, great friend of sinners. Listen to what they call him in Luke, uh, or what he says in Luke 7:34. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, "Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners." The people there knew Christ as a friend of sinners. His friendship to them was reaching out to them and not saying, I affirm all the things you're doing that are wrong. He wasn't going to the tax collectors or the or the sinners or the prostitutes or those people that were evil. He didn't go to them and say, look, I'm going to be your friend and you just get to do what you want the rest of your life. He calls them to repentance to submit to him. But he does that as a friend to them, calling them to his goodness and grace. And if you don't believe that Jesus showed friendship, then these verses may surprise you. John 15, 12 through 17 says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love us? Verse 13, it says this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus continues saying, you are my friends if you do what I command you. It's very interesting. Jesus says that this is how you're a friend of mine, when you obey me and follow my commands. And Jesus says he wants us to be friends with him. This is a good relationship. And we follow Christ. It says in verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go on and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that wherever, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. These things I command to you that you will love one another. Jesus came to redeem, to restore, to defeat Satan, and he gained victory over sin, But he and he died and he rose again so we can have everlasting life. But he also did that Not just so we can have all these things wiped away, so we can have a blank slate or so so that we can have a paper that says redeemed. He didn't just do that for that, for a document. Jesus came and died so that we can have a relationship with him, so that we can be in friendship with him. But Jesus didn't just come and give us this opportunity to be friends with him, to be in right relationship with him. He actually said that we should do this with each other. Now, if you want to be a person that says, I want to be Christ-like, you you say, I want to live like Jesus lived, then you're going to be a person that wants to have good, godly relationships and friendships. You may be sitting here and say, Jesus is my friend, but I don't need any friends here on earth. That sounds very lonely. And it also sounds like you didn't listen to a lot of what Jesus said. In the New Testament... There are over a hundred times the one another command is used. The word one another is used numerous times. A third of them talk about unity with one another, to be able to be united with one another. A third of them talk about loving one another. The rest of them communicate the importance of humility and deference to each other and show us how to interact with each other. Now, this is mentioned a hundred times or, or even maybe a little bit more in the New Testament, how we interact with one another. Let me tell you, if you look at the one another commands, 
that will be a, an excellent guide for you to be a friend to other people. You may look and say, nobody cares for me. Nobody's a friend to me. I'm lonely. I'm disappointed. And the reality is we often look at ourselves and we, we get frustrated because nobody cares for us like Jesus says for us to care for other people. We'll talk about some practical things about uh, friendship in just a moment, but let me encourage you to read the one another passages and think about them for your, in your friendships, in your relationships. When you read the New Testament and it says the words one another, love one another, think about how that relates to you and your spouse, you and your friends, you and your co-workers, you and other believers. The Bible tells us to be at unity in the church, peace with one another. Don't grumble, be of the same mind, accept one another, wait for one another. Don't bite, devour, consume one another. Don't be boastful, be gentle, patient, tolerant of one another, kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, bearing with one another, seeking the good for another one another, not repairing, paying evil, not complaining, confessing sin to one another. This is how we live in unity with people. But often we don't want to do that because it's not comfortable. But God tells us to love one another, bear with one another. It goes on, not just in unity, but to love one another. We love one another through service to one another. We tolerate one another in love. We greet one another with a holy kiss, but we can do that culturally just with a good handshake. Uh, but if you do that uh, in your culture, that's totally fine. Be devoted to one another in love. We are devoted and, and to be committed to caring for and loving one another, giving preference and regard to one another, serving one another, washing each other's feet. Don't be haughty. Be of the same mind. Be subject to one another. Close yourself in humility towards one another. Not judging. Bearing one another's burdens. Speaking the truth in love. Not lying. Encouraging one another. And you may say, well, that's all really hard. It is. It's difficult sometimes because it's easy when people are kind to you. It's easy when somebody loves you like Christ loved you, but when somebody doesn't love you like that, it's often difficult. It's difficult for us to go out and love one another. Of course, Jesus and the apostle gave these instructions to the church. He says, if we, and if we think about it, if we love one another like Christ told us to do, our friendships would thrive. Our relationships in the church would be robust. But oftentimes, we are so worried about others loving us like this and not actively loving others ourselves that we forget this. Sometimes we think, nobody cares for me. And others, somebody else sitting next to you is thinking, nobody cares for me. And if you would simply care for others, others would reciprocate that and care for you. But either way, God calls us to love one another. Whether or not you're in the garden waiting for your crucifixion and all your friends fall asleep. And like Christ arrested and everybody deserts you, Christ still says, love one another. He still says, care for one another. And you see, after Christ is risen from the grave, he goes to his friends. He doesn't have bitterness there and say, hey guys, remember when you fell asleep in the garden and then you left me? No, he eats with them, fellowships with them says, touch and feel, know that I am your God. He has a relationship with them. And as we saw in John 13:34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, 
all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You may say, I'm not really good at sharing the gospel. You know what you can get really good at right now? Loving one another. Get really good at loving others like Jesus loved you. And when you get really good at loving others like Jesus loved you, all of a sudden, sharing the gospel becomes a natural part of your life. Because you're going to love people so much that it's going to be shown. People are going to wonder, why is this person so caring and loving? And you can share the gospel. Don't wait, but actually share. You may wonder, why would you go to Germany to do a camp like this? I mean, you've seen churches in the States do baseball camp or or any kind of sports camp. The church here, we've done VBS and lots of things, and we connect with people. We go to Germany... And it's a little bit unique. And you may say, why don't you go to a third world country where you could build them a house or give them a bunch of money? We go to Germany and we're actually oftentimes sometimes the poorer person. Germany is a very wealthy country. But what they don't have is very many people with relationships with Christ. When they see us at camp encouraging a kid that strikes out, and if you don't know what a strikeout is in baseball, it's when a kid swings three times and doesn't hit the ball, or whatever, in baseball camp they have to swing three times. And really, you walk away from home plate as a failure. You get out when you run to first, and you failed in some sense. Baseball is a game of a lot of failing and a very little actual scoring runs and winning. But in baseball, when we're there encouraging kids and telling them and saying, hey, great job, come on, next time, encouraging them, teaching them, we all of a sudden show them care and love like they haven't seen. If you ever heard, saw, watch Germany and soccer, they're much better than us oftentimes in soccer than the U.S. because they're very disciplined, extremely disciplined in how they play the game. And so kids growing up on sports clubs and teams never see care and love in their different athletics. Oftentimes it's very rigid and very determined to be the best. And we're saying oftentimes, hey, it's okay. We still care for you. Just because you may be the worst player on our team, we still want you on our team. Just because you may have struck out every day from for this whole week, I want you on my team and I care for you and I'm not going to treat you any different. And they've not seen that. And if we could take a little bit of baseball camp and move it to our relationships with Christ, it would be very different. Our relationships within the church. Sometimes we look at somebody and we think, I'm going to befriend this person because they can help me. But you may look at the worst player on the team or the person that can't help you. Maybe the person in the church that's annoying to you. Maybe somebody that you've not got along with and you say, I'm going to make a purpose to love them and I'm going to care for them and I'm going to reach out to them and I'm going to show Christ-like friendship to them no matter what the cost because this is what Jesus said to do. So how do we have practical, some practical help with friendship? Let me go through this quickly. Practical help with friendship. It takes work. It takes work. Good, genuine, gospel friendships, it takes work. So prioritize your friendships. Stay flexible. Good friendships don't happen overnight. Just because I preached on it today, you're not going to magically walk out of the service and all of a sudden have a BFF or a bestie or a best friend that knows everything about you. It takes work for you to become friends. In marriage, I'd encourage you spouses to let your spouse have the freedom to make friends. Ladies, let your let your husband... Be able to make a good gospel friendship. Men, 
Carve out the time in your schedule for, for your wife to be able to go spend time with another lady and have friendship. It's difficult. You may say, well, we don't, we don't have the time. Carve it out of your schedule. I don't know how to be a good friend. Read the book of Proverbs. Some people have said the book of Proverbs is basically a book about friendship. And we know it's more than that. But if you read Proverbs and think about how you interact with friends, you'll all of a sudden be amazed at how that will impact your friendship. Make your schedule pliable and soft enough that you can actually have interaction with friends. And you may say, I don't have time. Prioritize time to make friends. Gospel friends. Men, I'd encourage you to be friends with other men, women with other women. It's not that you can't have friends of the opposite sex, but I think that's probably the best, unless it's your spouse. Married couples, try to help your spouse have good, healthy friendships. Sometimes we'll have a conversation with Hannah and I when we'll talk about her going out with people, and it's sometimes difficult. It means that I might make dinner uh, and the kids will suffer, but it means that she gets to go and have time with a relationship with somebody else. And you know what? When she comes back, we have an opportunity to fellowship together, to talk and rejoice of a friendship. Make time. Prioritize that. Often men, we like to do things side by side, fishing together, playing golf together, walking and talking together. That helps sometimes because we're not good at face to face. I would say work at both, but realize sometimes doing things together helps us actually draw our friendship together. Ladies, that may be like you too, but you also may have a better emotional connection where you can sit over coffee and laugh and wonderful, have a wonderful time because you see your friend face to face. Whatever it is, make time to build those. Prioritize them. Prioritize the time. Actually just thinking about being a better friend will help you be a better friend. Calling, texting is wonderful. Zoom calls. I've had a couple Zoom calls with friends recently from across the country. And let me tell you, they've been some of the most encouraging things I've done. Just talking about life, even though I can't spend time with them face to face. But the best is to be able to have time with people face to face here. And I would encourage you, search out good friends in this church. You may say, well, how do I do that? Focus on being a friend more than finding a friend. Focus on being a friend more than finding a friend. Sometimes it's like we're looking on our phone and we're trying to search for whatever gas station or place that we've typed into Google Maps or whatever it is, and we're trying to, like, locate that. What we should really be doing is simply being kind, loving, caring, loving one another like Jesus said. And we do that to everyone. And sometimes we start to build a bond and a friendship with people that may be closer Show kindness and mercy. Mercy and kindness are like the fuel and oil to your friendships that makes them go. If you're bitter and mean and grumpy to everyone, don't be surprised if people don't like being around you. People that are kind and loving and merciful usually have a lot of friends. Jesus was a friend of sinners because He was kind, loving, gentle, lowly, merciful. You may say, well, I like to have my own way and I like things done in order and the way I want. Great. I bet Jesus did too. He created the world in order with a purpose. Yet he was flexible enough to be friends with sinners and people like me that still struggle to make the bed. You know, I want to be friends with everybody in the church here. 
I really do. But also realize I'm probably going to be better friends with some than others. Sometimes we get frustrated because this person or that person is not my friend. Or even as pastors, we have a difficult burden sometimes because we really do connect to everybody. Everybody in this room I want to have a connection with. I want to have a friendship with. But I'd encourage you, just as a note, a side note, give space to your pastors to be able to have friends in the church. And sometimes friends in the church will be closer than others. And that should be natural. I used to be told by uh, an older man in ministry, he said, he said this, and I, it was one of the things that I've thought about so many times. He said, don't be friends with anyone in your church because people will hurt you. And I, I remember thinking that, and that is one of the worst. He was, a, he was a missionary for a long time and somebody I respect a ton. And I think that is some of the worst advice I've ever had. I want to be friends with people. And sometimes relationships hurt. And sometimes people leave. Sometimes people leave because they move to different places, and it hurts. I can't tell you when Carrie Dixon, my neighbor, but also one of my best friends, when he left, that that was a tough time. And uh, I'm still bitter. <laughs> I'm still I'm still bitter at him. So Carrie, if you ever hear this, we need good close friends. But you know what? Even though he's gone, I'm still a friend with him, and I want to make close friends again. And have them here. And I want to have the space for that. And we should all have space for that. But we show Christ-like love to everybody. And sometimes when those friendships hurt, that's okay. Because we know that we were close. Imagine those disciples that spent three years with Christ. And then Peter, James, and John that were especially close to their friend Jesus. When he died, how much heartache it was. And then the joy to see him alive they went and turned the world upside down, but I can only imagine how difficult it was when they saw him go into, into heaven. And just think, they went and told the world about it. But think about how difficult it may have been thinking, my friend left, but one day I get to see him again. But you can even see in the writings of Peter and John especially, there is an ache that they had to be with Jesus their true friend. Center your friendships on the Word of God. Center your friendships on Jesus. Pray together. Read the Bible together. An excellent book that Josh talked about in Sunday School, and that's on our shelf. If you go into the uh, fellowship hall, it's called One-to-One Bible Reading. I'd encourage you to grab that. Look at it. How to read the Bible together with another friend. Encourage Christ-likeness. The words of encouragement can be so critical can help us so much. J.C. Ryle, who wrote that quote at the beginning, and we'll see that quote just here in a second there, he wrote a longer uh, passage, and and I'll read this. It says this, A friend is one of the greatest blessings on earth. Tell me not of money. Affection is better than gold. Sympathy is better than lands. He is the poor man who has no friends. This world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It is a disappointing place. But, he says this, the brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. Friends can make life so much better. When we see somebody struggling with health in the hospital, having a friend call or visit or come by can change everybody's perspective. 
Because not only are you bearing that burden, now a friend is bearing that burden with you. It's like that person that gets injured on the field running. And somebody comes along and picks them up and says, put your arm on my shoulders. And we bear that weight together. We bear the pain together. I'll finish with this, just a brief story of our life in uh, Germany. As we went to Germany, like Ryan said, we had five, about five flights canceled. We lost 11 bags. Fortunately, we found two, you know. Uh, and when we went back to the airport to go back to Germany or fly back home, uh, I, typed, I helped everybody type in. There were seven of us flying together on that trip. We typed in everybody's self-check-in, and, and we just got through it really quick, and it was excellent. And then I punched in my numbers, and I, we had got everybody and said, hey, just still go. The security line was super, super long. I mean, I just wrapped around the whole building everywhere. And I said, just go get in line. And I started putting in my code and uh, everything, and it said, uh, not not there. And so I'm a Wycopen, and I am a second Tad, so I have these two little I's, Roman noodle numerals at the end of my name, and sometimes that messes up my tickets. And so I did that about five times on the self-checkout and finally went and stood in line and waited in line for about 45 minutes to an hour. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Come on, hurry up. I'm going to miss a flight, but this guy's going to take care of me. And I hand him my, my uh, passport, give him everything, give him my confirmation. And he says, you don't have a ticket on this flight. And that's always encouraging. Um, and he says, you don't, you're, you're not actually booked on this flight. And uh, he says, you need to go. After standing in line for so long, you need to go to this other desk and they can help you there. And praise God that the desk was actually open and uh, at 7 in the morning. And I walked over there and fortunately there was only one other person in line. And I handed my passport to him, gave him the confirmation numbers. And he said, oh, I see how your tickets were messed up in, in London and now you don't have a flight home. I can't help you. And uh, that was discouraging again. And I asked, would you... Please do what you can or see, because I said, you know, I'm supposed to fly home today. Everybody else has already checked in. Six of them are trying to get on the plane, and I should be with them. And he said, uh, I can help you, but I'm not going to be able to get this done in time. You're going to miss your flight. And then he kept going through, and I thought, I've still got time. I've still got time. And it just took him so long that the line was so long, he didn't think I could make it. So he said, I can fly you to Frankfurt, uh, which is couple hours away he said I can fly you there and you can stay overnight in a hotel and hopefully maybe they'll reimburse you and he said but if you have friends here in Hamburg you could stay with them and you could fly out in the morning and it was like why does he say the word friends he could say if you know anybody here if there's a hotel you could do anything you could sleep in the airport in Hamburg you could do whatever but he said if you have friends here and it was like the Lord just used this ticket agent to speak to me and help me remember friends can help us half our sorrows and they can double our joy. I texted the friend Mickey and Sienna that we stayed with the, for the week and he said, I'll be there in 30 minutes. That's how long it takes me to drive there. Just let me know when. He came to the airport, helped me search for four hours for bags and we found two and then we went home. He said, hey, take a nap, sleep, rest. Let's play golf later in the afternoon. What a wonderful day that I missed the flight. And it was so special that I got to spend another day with my friends. Friends in Christ can make a world of difference. It can make your life so much better. I would encourage you today, call, reach out to people that are in your life that are special. You may have not talked to them for years 
or you may have just talked to them this morning, let them know how important they all are to you. Share Christ-like love and Christ-like friendship with others. Let's pray. Father, thank You for sending Your Son. Thank You for sending us Your Son and calling Him a friend of sinners. Thank You that we can be friends with You and have a relationship with You. Thank You that we can obey You like You ask us to and that You give us the wonderful opportunity to have a relationship with You. Lord, I ask that You would help us to be friends with each other. Lord, it is sometimes difficult. It's hard. Our time is, our life is busy. We're full of distractions, full of other worries. And Lord, sometimes friends and other people disappoint us. But I pray, Lord, that we would show mercy and kindness and forgiveness and ourselves ask for forgiveness so that we can have good, strong, healthy friendships. Lord, as we go out today and as we think about this, I pray that, Lord, our church would be built by strong relationships built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and that our friendships would be good and strong and wonderful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.